In our 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. W-A-T-H FM's. Well, it's kind of gloomy out there. Sprinkling some. Not a ray of sunshine to speak of. It's a Monday. And it's the 18th day of the month. But as we look ahead in the week, it's supposed to have uh, sunny weather the next four days. And then, of course, thunderstorms on Saturday. Of course, these things can change between now and then, but that's what they're saying right now. All right, so uh, I'm Dave Palmer. Scott's here, too, and uh, good morning. Good morning. Did you hear those ducks go swimming by earlier? Yes. And um, they sounded happy. They did. It's a good good day to be a duck, as they say with this rain fall. (laughs) So, you know, I looked at the date today, July 18th. And suddenly I had this, you know, I've never memorized this stuff, so... Uh, I'm going to ask you to dig this out. Okay. The dates that each season begins. No, hush up, phone. (laughs) There, turn it off. Okay. Um, So, like right now we're in summer. Correct. Which started June 21st. Okay. I'm going to write that down. Okay. June 23. 21st. 21. 21. Okay. This is summer. Now, fall. I'm going to say it starts October 21st, but I'm going to look right now. Okay. Yeah, we can't say we got to be right if we're doing this. So um, I'm, I'm going to put this in my calendar once and for all. But it's also on the 21st, you think? Um, I'm looking, looking. Okay. And we're also going to dig, um, you know, the first day of winter. The Fall first begins September 22nd. Okay. September 22. Yes. Okay. Winter. Winter begins December 21st. And then spring. Um. Spring, well, we'll go with... And does is it always the same calendar date each year? No. Oh. Well, then I can't put this in my calendar annually. Sometimes it will vary just maybe a day or two. Okay. Of course, you're not near a microphone at the moment, but spring is uh, certainly sprung. <laughs> Um, and spring. What is with my phone today? Spring, um, spring began March 20th. March 20th. Yes. Okay. So it's usually right around the 20th, but, 21st. But all of this is for... Come on! 
up. Let me turn it down. I don't know how to do that. Okay, so this was um, 20, 21. Yeah, they usually no, 22, begin. 22, Yeah, right around the anywhere the 20th, 21st, 22nd of the season, whatever that is. But whether it's. But you're saying it does vary from year to year yeah. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just maybe a day, one why. way or the other. I wonder why. Well, you've got leap years to consider as well, and the timing of the Earth's rotation around the sun, all of this uh, physics involved with that, too. But it's it's not, it doesn't change from, you know, that much, maybe, as I mentioned, maybe one day, one way or the other. All right, well, let's... Um some years it falls on the same day, back-to-back uh, we'll, back uh, year, something like that. We'll explore this in more detail maybe tomorrow. Okay. So uh, know that this, this is going to come up as a topic. All right. Well, on this date of July 18th, 2022, on this day in history and all that sort of thing, historical events. In the year 64, the Great Fire of Rome begins under Emperor Nero. Then we jump a whole bunch to 1925. Adolf Hitler publishes Mein Kampf. The original title was the catchy four and a half years of struggle against lies, stupidity, and cowardice. Yeah, I can see why I went to Mein Kampf. 1936, the Spanish Civil War. General Francisco Franco issues a manifesto and leads an uprising in the Spanish army stationed in Morocco. In the year 2012, Kim Jong-un is officially appointed Supreme Leader of North Korea. Given, given the rank of marshal in the Korean People's Army. Twenty thirteen. I've forgotten about this. Detroit, Michigan filed for bankruptcy, becoming the largest U.S. municipal bankruptcy ever at eighteen and a half million. Okay, so, uh, Scott, let's see, I'm going to save this paper and look into it later tonight. Okay. Hey, I've got something for you here you might be interested in. Try me. Next year's spring, summer, fall, winter dates. Do you have those handy where you wrote them down? I, I wrote this year. Okay. This is next year's, okay. just, to, just to give you an example. Start in. Okay. Spring yeah. of 2023 starts Monday, March 20th. So that's the same. Okay. Summer begins June 21st. Same. Fall begins September 23rd. That's different. Yes. And winter begins December 21st. So only one difference. Yes. Now that may change in 2024. So while we speak, 
Let's go to 2024. You want to do that? Okay, I'm ready. Yeah. Spring begins in 2024, March 19th. Oh, a day earlier. Yep. Summer begins June 20. A day earlier. Yep. Fall begins September 22nd. Back to this year. Yep. And winter begins December 21st, once again. The same as this year. Yes. Well, okay. I see. It can move around just ever so slightly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe just a day or two. Yeah. Not even really two days. It's usually just one day. Now, again, let's see. 2024 will be a leap year every four years. The last leap year we had, obviously, was 2020. Okay, so wasn't one of your close buddies Machine Gun Kelly? Uh, one of my former teammates, yes. Yeah. Well, um, today would have been his birthday where he's still alive, but you mix it up with such an odd group. Um, he got wiped out in 1954. Okay. Um, let's see here. Robert Hook. With an E on the end. Um, born in this date on 1635. Died in 1703. You didn't know him that well. But what was his thing? We, we did not. He was... An English scientist and architect who, using a microscope, was the first to visualize a microorganism. Oh, An impoverished scientific inquirer in young adulthood, he found wealth and esteem by performing over half of the architectural surveys after London's Great Fire of 1666. Now, okay, I just found something really odd, but I'll get to it in a minute. Okay, so Nelson Mandela, born on this date in 1918, died in 2013. And uh, pretty good guy he was. Yes, former president of South Africa. And he was an anti-apartheid activist who served as the first president of South Africa from 1994 to 1999. He was the country's first black head of state and the first elected in a fully representative democratic election. Now, this next picture is that of W.G. Grace. Now, folks... Um, I've rarely had a beard or a mustache or anything like that. Facial hair, so to speak. But when COVID began, I started to grow a very simple beard. And it still exists, and I would like to be able to shave it off. But COVID is not finished. 
Well, I um, think you're going to have that beard for quite a while. Yeah, well, the thing is, it's a, it's a very short beard. I trim it and all that sort of thing. I have been amazed at how many people I have seen recently with these tremendously long beards. And this W.G. Grace has a very long beard. And I don't know if I could even manipulate my head with <laughs> these long beards. It would be so weird. Anyway, he was born in 1848. He died in 1915. Speaking of beards, if I may add this, I had a friend that had a long beard like that. He used to ride a Harley. Yeah. And it was it was interesting watching him ride down the street because his beard would like split in two yes, I see. and fly back towards each ear. Yep. He, he was a funny guy anyway, so it just made it any, a little more funny. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, a, a heavy breeze can make it go all sorts of ways. Yes. William Gilbert Grace was an English amateur cricketer or oh. cricketer, I guess it is. So an athlete. Who, yeah, who was important in the development of the sport and is widely considered one of its greatest players. <laughs> Some people believe cricket was the forerunner of baseball. I have two uh, famous deaths to mention. <clears throat> and uh, I don't think I've had one of these here like this before, and we'll get to it next. But first is that of Jane Austen. She's born in 1775. She died on this date in 1817. Jane Austen was an English novelist known primarily for her six major novels which interpret, critique, and comment upon the British landed gentry at the end of the 18th century Austin's plots often explore the dependence of women on marriage in the pursuit of favorable social standing and economic security. Some of her works include Pride and Prejudice from 1813, mm -hmm. Emma from 1815, and from 1811, Sense and Sensibility, and 1816, Produced Persuasion. All right, so then the other one, which I, I've already sort of said, I, I don't think we've done this before. Uh, when we were talking about famous birthdays, George Machine Gun Kelly was mentioned. He also died on this date. So he's mentioned twice here. And so he was born in 1895 on this date. He died in 1954 on this date. He was a gangster. Yeah. George Kelly Barnes, better known by his pseudonym Machine Gun Kelly, was an American gangster from Memphis, Tennessee, dur active during the Prohibition era. His name, nickname, came from his favorite weapon, a Thompson submachine gun. Now, I'm curious. Did he die naturally? Um, or was he... Taken out as my say. guess is not. Let's see. Uh, he was initially sent to federal penitentiary in Leavenworth, Kansas, 
and in August 1934 was transferred to Alcatraz after making threats to free himself and his wife from prison in time for the Christmas holidays. He died of a heart attack at the Federal Penitentiary in Leavenworth, Kansas in 1954. All right. Well, folks, um, I mean, sour candy. I I don't know as I've tried sour candy. I always think of candy should be sweet, right? Yeah. But today is National Sour Candy Day. The state of June 18th. It's National Get Out of the Doghouse Day. <laughs> Anyone raise their hand on that one, I wonder? We hope not. Yep. <laughs> In National Caviar Day. Now, you like I, that? I, you know, there is such a variety, if you know what I mean. There is some caviar that I don't know why anybody would want to eat the flavor. <laughs> and there's others that are kind of good. And I don't know the distinction between the two, how to know one from another. So if it's presented to me, I just generally say no, thank you. How about you? Um, I've eaten it a few times, and actually it, it was pretty good. I had it on a cracker. And I didn't think I'd like it, and especially after someone told me what it was. <laughs> Fish eggs. Yes. Well, uh, yeah. But there's some, you know, there's many different strains of fish, types of fish. And. I guess if I could somehow or other narrow down which type of caviar from which type of fish that I do like, it's generally very salty. Yes, it is. Um, Much like sardines. Caviar is sturgeon fish eggs. There are several species of sturgeon fish. As a result, the caviar produced varies in colors depending on the species. Caviar is full of protein and vitamins, making the delicacy a healthy meal. Only sturgeon, they're saying. Sturgeon, they say in simple terms, yes. It's sturgeon fish eggs. I swear I've fish heard eggs. of other, but um, okay, we'll, we'll leave that report alone. Yeah, they were apparently the U.S.-led distribution at 600 tons per year until 1900. However, due to the over-harvesting of sturgeon fish for the caviar, the U.S. banned harvesting for a time to protect the sturgeon fish from becoming extinct. The population has never recovered sufficiently since the ban, re- uh, resulting and, and in caviar's continued status as a luxury item. Yes, and very expensive. Yeah, yes, it is. First time I saw that, I thought, hmm, look at those blueberries. <laughs> I think I'll try some. Wow, what a shock to the taste buds. Yes, yes, <laughs> indeed. 
Well, our nation is undergoing another heat wave. And according to the New York Times, the United States federal government is pulling back from the climate fight. So what's all that mean? Buckling in the heat is the headline. Weather forecasters say that Britain this week may experience its highest temperatures on record. More than 40 degrees Celsius, or about 105 degrees Fahrenheit. In response, officials in London have asked people to stay home, saying that vehicles may overheat and rail tracks may buckle. In France, Greece, and Spain, and other parts of Europe, the same heat wave has sparked dozens of wildfires. In the U.S., parts of the southwest and central plains are bracing for temperatures that could reach 110 degrees this week. Already, the city of Tulsa has experienced more days above 100 degrees this summer than it historically has in the entire summer on average. Yet, In the face of these mounting signs and costs of climate change, the U.S. federal government is choosing not to address the problem. Last week, President Biden's package of policies to reduce climate warning warning pollution collapsed. It did so after Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia withdrew his support. Last month, the Supreme Court restricted the Environmental Protection Agency's authority to reduce pollution at power plants. So, again, this is from the New York Times, David Leonard. He goes on, as my colleagues Jonathan Weissman and Jasmine Uloa wrote, or write, climate change remains an issue with little political power, either for those pressing for dramatic action or for those standing in the way. People are exhausted by the pandemic. They're terribly disillusioned by the government. Now that's from... Uh, Anusha Narayanan, who is the campaign campaign director, climate campaign director for Greenpeace USA, which is an environmental group known for its guerrilla tactics, but now struggling to mobilize su- supporters. She added, she added, people see climate as a tomorrow problem. We have to make it see it's not a tomorrow problem. Well, the U.S. action, uh, let me strike that over. The lack of U.S. action on climate change has alarmed many experts. Without American leadership, the world will probably struggle 
to limit warming to levels that scientists have urged for the sake of preventing much worse damage than the planet is already on course to experience. The U.S. remains a major emitter of greenhouse gases, and it also has the geopolitical sway to persuade China and India to do more than they are now doing. if the U.S. is also active. Today's newsletter looks at what this country can still do to address climate change, even with Washington seeming to withdraw from the fight. So what are some of the parts? California is on the verge of requiring that all new cars sold there be electric or zero emission by the year 2035. Colorado and New York have sharply cut their electricity electricity emissions in recent years. And about 20 other states have also taken aggressive steps to slow global warming as have some local governments and companies. States are really critical to helping the country as a whole achieve our climate goals, said Kyle Kark Sutton of RMI, which is a clean energy think tank. They have been leading states, he says. None of these changes has clearly the impact that federal action would, but smaller changes can still add up and even foster broader changes. Consider the vehicle market. By mandating electric vehicles, California and other states will lead automakers to build many more of them, likely spurring innovations and economies of scale that will reduce costs for everybody and thereby increase their use around the country. It is a reminder that climate change is one of those issues on which activists may be able to make more progress by focusing on grassroots organizing than top-down change from Washington, especially in the current era era of uh, polarization. Locally, the politics of climate change can sometimes be less partisan than they are nationally. Um, after Manchin seemed to doom the climate legislation last week, the president vowed to take strong executive action to meet this moment. His authority is much narrower than it would be if Congress passed new legislation, especially given the Supreme Court's hostility 
the many kinds of environmental regulation. However, our president does have several tools he can use. Among them, he has directed the EPA to write new rules to reduce pollution from vehicles. The nation's, the nation's largest source of planet warming pollution, vehicles. And accelerate the transition to electric vehicles. Even with the recent Supreme Court ruling, the EPA still has the authority to issue narrow rules that would affect coal and gas-fired power plants, which are the second largest source of greenhouse gas emissions. The EPA also plans to issue regulations this year to curb leaks of methane from oil and gas wells which they continue to say is another significant source of greenhouse gases. Well, there's a headline here. It says, Getting to 51. Let's see what they mean. There are two basic reactions, I'm sorry, two basic reasons that a single senator, Manchin, has had the power to block climate legislation. First, the chamber is split evenly, Democrats and Republicans, with Vice President Kamala Harris breaking ties, giving Democrats no margin for losing a vote. Second, no Republican senators are willing to vote for major climate legislation. Over the longer term, changing either of these situations could lead to more aggressive U.S. policies to slow climate change. On the Republican side, some conservatives have been pushing their party to follow the lead of many other center-right parties around the world, which help pass and shape climate policies. Carlos Curbel, a former congressman from South Florida, has pointed out that change, I'm sorry, climate change is already creating daily problems for Americans. There's a Jay Faison, who is a North Carolina business executive who created a foundation to promote conservative climate solutions, the, the Niskanen Center, which is a Washington policy group, is doing similar work. If even a small number of congressional Republicans supported policies to slow climate change, it could transform the politics of the issue creating bipartisan, pro-climate majorities in Congress. We're almost done with this. On the Democratic side, the main question is how to prevent Manchin from being the, the deciding vote in future years. 
That is why that is by winning more seats in purple and red states. Democrats struggled to win in these states, partly because the party has alienated working class voters who are moderate or conservative on many social issues and see Democrats as the party of liberal college graduates. Well, I I think you get the point. This is... There's not a whole lot of set, absolute agreement. And yet there needs to be. So we'll continue to watch this story closely. And hope that some things improve. All right. We're um, we're supposed to have hot weather here. Um, but but as I look at the uh, the chart up on the screen here. It really doesn't look that much different than the rest of the summer so far. And we are in the middle of it. Today is uh, June, no, July 20 what? 28th, right? 18. 18. Yes. It doesn't change for another... 32 days till we move into August. Not no, not August, but fall. So be careful out there. Take care of the animals, all that sort of thing. Yeah, we still have, uh, what, 13, four, counting today, 14 days in July. Uh, 31 in August, and then 22 more in September before it becomes fall. So, yeah, it's, it's, there's still some significant hot weather on the way. But like we were talking about, you and I were kicking this around. That we have, You asked a rhetorical question. Have you really noticed it being hotter than usual this summer or colder than usual last winter? And we both said no, no, yeah. So, but if you look at the map for this week down south, uh, they they are going to have a hotter week. Yeah, I mean that happens. It seems like every year that there are regions in the country that experience extreme weather one way, hot, or the other way, cold. And it, it's just the way this hemisphere happens with the, with the weather, um, particularly North America. Mm-hmm. And apparent, apparently it has, has that way of happening. Plus, uh, hurricane season will be upon us before we know it, too, from the Gulf Coast. And, uh, well, depending on where the 
hot sands of the Sahara, the hot winds of the sands of the Sahara decide to move over this way uh, because from what I've read in a lot of meteorology reports is that's where hurricanes really originate is from the hot air, extreme hot air that collides with the cooler air um, moving this way and it happens over typically the Gulf of Mexico or in that area or even further east that picks up the the speed, the winds, and everything else that generates from the Sahara Desert. Meteorology 101 right there. There you go. <laughs> um, what, 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 what we did mention earlier in the show is that California and some other places are really pushing uh, the use of electric I have another story here. It says California is on the verge of requiring that all new cars sold there be electric or zero emissions. And the year they're putting that to is 2035. And a question I hear a lot is, how are they going to power these cars when California experiences electric blackouts, brownouts, rolling blackouts and brownouts where they've cut off the electricity. Mm-hmm. I mean, how are they going to do that? And right now, really only the the upper class and upper middle class folks are really the ones that can afford these electric vehicles. As we've talked about before, the battery replacement cost for one battery of electric vehicles, anywhere from $3,500 to $5,000 right now. And it's not something you can just go down to your auto parts store and say, hey, I need a battery. How much is it for replacement? You know, let's say for your Nissan, how much is a battery replacement? 70 bucks, 80 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it may be. But you're looking at a significant cost for maintenance and you know we we don't frank quite frankly we don't have the electric grid in this country to power these cars now that may change by 2035 but right now uh, you know when for instance Columbus recently had to shut off uh, the power for a section of neighborhood up there to upgrade the service you know, their power is out, what, five, six days in a, in a particular area of I, Columbus? I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, you know, they they had food spoiling in the refrigerators, and uh, I it, have it was neighbor. after a storm. You know, an AEP was removing uh, trees, branches, limbs, and everything else, and they shut off the power for another five or six days. I have a neighbor that has an all-electric car. And, uh, you know, it's parked in the driveway and it's plugged in. Um, There's a couple places around town where I've seen the plug-in devices where you can park in a public area and use them. Yeah, the charging stations. That's what I meant to call it. 
but um, there's not very many of them. There's not very many of them. Certainly not enough for the population. And if California is pushing that they want essentially everyone to go to this, um, that's got to be a different kind of problem being presented. Because California, as we well know, is highly populated. And um, people like to get around over there. They don't. New Yorkers stay more in one place. Yeah. They, they commute. They ride subways, trains, and buses, so public transportation. You know, how are they going to manage that volume of need? Even if there is, um, let's see, this is 2023, right? 22. 22. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Anyway. They were close. They say by 2035, they might be ready. Well, that's 12 or 13 years. Um, I just don't know. I have driven a car that is half and half, right? Yeah, a my hybrid. Na- my neighbor. And it is different. It, it's not difficult to get used to. Um, but it's, it's different. And... Certainly, we can all complain about the cost of gasoline right now. And there's also now recent stories out there saying Athens is worse than other places. And I don't really understand that. Meaning higher prices than other places. Exactly. Athens and southeast Ohio. There was an article on the front page of the Messenger yesterday, and I'm I'm not sure I agree with all of that. Why gas prices are so high? I'm more inclined to go with what our own Troy Bolin came up with in his research. Uh oh. And I shared it on Party Line last uh, Tuesday. What's our sports guy say? When I filled in, well, he he talked to a few area station owners. Uh, why are gas prices so high here? Well, it it went back to the gas station at Kroger's. That it seemed that Kroger's of Athens is the benchmark price here of four ninety nine because they offer those fuel points. Okay, some people can go in there with a, a dollar per gallon off with a, with an adequate amount of fuel points, thus making the price three ninety nine a gallon. Okay, so therefore they're dropping their price by a buck to those not to those who have those few points. Not everybody has the few points. Right. Okay, which is Troy Wan says kind of unfair to the rest of the population. And the other station owners say, yeah, we could drop ours to three eighty nine and or three seventy nine. And then we lose twenty cents a gallon on that, while Kroger stays at four ninety nine. So they're not going to continue to lose money 
at 379. So they bump it back up to, uh, excuse me, um, 479. So they're they're going to bump it back up to 499 to realize that 20 cents a gallon profit once again. And then Troy went on to say other places, you know, like Go-Mart, for instance, Speedway, they're convenience stores. They go in and stop there for a different reason. They have snacks, uh, convenience items in there to purchase. So they go into those for a different reason than they do Kroger's. Um, so it was that, in a nutshell, basically is what Troy was saying. Now, granted, the proximity and population of gas stations isn't that big, here in southeastern Ohio, which they say has an effect on the pricing, too, that people yeah, in that, certain that neighborhoods. That sort of surprised me. It said that uh, we have fewer options. Yeah. And I guess I hadn't realized that. seems like we have enough gas stations around, but evidently when you compare it to other places nearby, we have fewer options. Yeah. But then again, you hear the argument, well, we live in rural southeastern Ohio, and our prices are cheaper than Athens. So, yeah, yep, we got to go. We're out of time, folks. Um, I still love living here, you know. it's it, This is home. Be careful out there. We'll see you tomorrow. Right here on The Leader, 970 WATH. In our 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. WATH FMs. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Deborah Rodriguez in New York. The question is life in prison or death for 23-year-old Nicholas Cruz, the Parkland, Florida school shooter, as the penalty phase of his trial gets underway this morning. This is a very serious matter that we're here for today. The judge opening proceedings just now at the Broward County Courthouse. WFOR-TV's Nicole Lauren is there. Today we'll hear opening statements from both the prosecution and the defense. The 12 jurors will hear the defense present mitigating factors to spare the life of Cruz. Those include his young age, his mental health issues, and the death of his parents. On the other hand, prosecutors will walk the jury through the horrifying events of that day. They'll tour the three-story building where the massacre took place and look at crime scene photos as well. Cruz pleaded guilty last October to 17 counts of first-degree murder. One of President Trump's former White House advisors is at court in Washington to face contempt of Congress charges for refusing to testify before lawmakers investigating the Capitol attack. Correspondent Scott McFarland. It's jury selection today. Steve Bannon had argued that all the coverage of the January 6th committee hearings would inflame and bias prospective jurors. The federal judge here, a Trump appointee, disagreed, wouldn't delay the trial, and said they'll be able to find 14 jurors by the end of the day. Police near Indianapolis are expected to release.